Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Jack C., and this is Living with Purpose. And uh, we are continuing our study on biblical honor, and uh, we've really spent a lot of time uh, really talking about David and uh, what David did, how David um, even became king over Israel. You know, it's it's not like David, you know, woke up one day and had this dream of being king and, you know, spent every waking hour trying to make sure he was always in the right place at the right time, you know, to so that he could get ahead. You know, there's there's not stories of David, you know, having to wipe out all the competition so that he could be number one. You know, David was, for the most part, a very humble person, a very submitted person. He was a very faithful person. And those characteristics helped catapult him into, I think, you know, the greatest king that Israel ever had. You know, as we'd kind of talked about before, you've got the three really big kings of Israel, and those are the first three. And you've got Saul, you've got David, and you've got Solomon. And while Solomon's kingdom was probably filled with most of the materialistic wealth that Israel, you know, Israel at one point, Jerusalem at the time of Solomon really was the center of the world. It was... Um, the, the, the finances, the material wealth, the gold, the silver, the trading, um, the military might, the horses, um, everything, you know, even the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon because of his great wisdom. And, uh, but um, Solomon, uh, like Saul, had this kingdom given to him, and uh, it wasn't as precious to him. And uh, Solomon made decisions almost immediately as he became king by taking an Egyptian wife and doing something that he was not supposed to do. And uh, all of a sudden, he had this disobedience growing with his obedience, and pretty soon that disobedience overtook it. And uh, the kingdom ended pretty abruptly after that, and it's been pretty downhill ever since. But David, he, um, he purposed in his heart. You know, even though he was anointed king, David had every opportunity. I mean, let's face it. David even went and fought for the Philistines at one point because Saul was trying to kill him. I mean, for David to go fight with his worst enemies, I mean, he had wiped out Goliath. I mean, David's name was not great with the Philistines, but it was better in Gath than it was in Jerusalem. Think about that for a minute. Because Saul, because of his envy <coughs> for David, uh, because he knew that he was no longer going to be king and that David was, Saul did everything in his power to try and kill David. But David did one thing really, really well. And as we talked about last week, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 18, three times that David behaved himself wisely. And that was David's recipe uh, for promotion, for honor, for protection. And uh, as you can tell under these three accounts, that the, the, because of how David acted, not just when Saul was in the room, but how he acted when Saul was out of the room, that it really did cause him to be promoted, to climb, to be favored, and so on. And so um, his, uh, we talked about last week, you know, David, he became irreplaceable. He became uh, invaluable, uh, if that's even a word, to Saul. Even though Saul was jealous of him, even though Saul wanted David dead, he could not deny the fact that God was with him. And everywhere that he sent David, David prospered. Everywhere, every battle, Every situation that Saul tried to send, Saul tried to kill David by getting him to marry his daughter, Michael, and he made a request. He said, David, if you'll bring me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, then you can become the king's son-in-law. Well, as gross and as graphic as that is, David went and got 200. See, Saul was trying to put David in a place where he could be killed, but not of his own hand. 
and so that he could be free from David. If you ever wondered why David did what he did to Uriah with Bathsheba, David did the same thing to Uriah that Saul had done to him. That's where that came from. When he put Uriah in the heat of the battle and he said, draw back because it was Bathsheba's husband and he had committed fornication and adultery that he wanted Uriah dead, but he didn't want Uriah dead by his own hand. He got that from Saul. That's a, it's a very, very, that's the really low point for David in his life. But David, up to that point, he behaved himself wisely. Um, in uh, 1 Samuel um, uh, eighteen thirteen, we talked about last week, uh, it says, Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand, and he went out and he came in before the people. David, because of behaving wisely, never suffered casualty, which made the people love him. Uh, it also says that David's humility and submission to Saul promoted him even over Saul's personal staff. I want you to see it's not like God just elevated him over the people, but Saul's own staff saw the anointing, saw the favor on David's life. And the way that David was, was able to handle himself with humility, he was not a threat to anybody on Saul's staff. And uh, in verse 30 of 1 Samuel 18, it says, And his name was highly esteemed. That means that it was precious in the sight of the people. His name was precious in the sight of the people. David's submission to Saul and humility with the people, soldiers and servants of Saul, it protected him from attacks from the outside and from the inside. You know, back in that day, there was, you know, a lot of jealousies. These were large families. There was territorial leadership. You know, the way you got ahead is you killed the guy that was in front of you and you took his place. And that's why Satan worked so hard to try and get David to kill Saul so that one of Absalom in his turn might have been able to kill David because David had done it first. But David never took the bait. David, even though Saul um, he had no reason or right, if Saul could have just recognized and, and capitalized on David as his star employee, they could have ruled the world. I mean, because he was going to get credit because he's the one that put David in charge. We miss that sometimes. It's that, you know, just because Saul wasn't giving the personal accolades that David was, well, yeah, you were because you're the one that put him in that position. So, but Saul was not able to see that. Saul, like the enemy, took their eyes off of God, put them on themselves, and they were never satisfied. And that's when they always want more. I always want more. I always want more. What I have, I'm not content with. We got to keep our eyes on what God has called us to do and who we are in him. Because if I do that, I'm always going to be set up for promotion. And so Saul took his eyes off himself. Look at all the, the praise that David's getting. And we all know what happened right after he killed Goliath. I mean, we make it like three verses. And the ladies all came out with their tambourines. Saul had killed his thousands, but David had killed his ten thousands. And the next verse says, and from that day on, Saul eyed David with suspicion. That envy entered in right then, and it didn't have to be. Saul was still king. David was still under him. So honor and submission, those are the two really, really big keys to, um, to promotion, but it's also there's the keys to great faith. And uh, I want you to go with me to the book of Matthew, and I want to show you how those same two characteristics of submission and humility 
not only lead you to a place of promotion, but will also lead you to a place of great faith. And in Matthew chapter 8, we have this accounting of the centurion. And uh, we all know the account of it. And, uh, you know, uh, the centurion has a servant. And the centurion is a Roman who's over a thousand people. That's what a centurion was. And so the centurion who was stationed, garrisoned in Israel, had a sick servant whom he loved. And so they sent for Jesus, and Jesus, uh, the centurion, was asking through intermediaries, Jesus, will you come and heal my servant? And so Jesus said, I will come. So Jesus is going to the centurion's house. The centurion says, whoa, whoa, stop. I'm not worthy that you should even come under my roof. There's humility. But he makes this statement. He says, I tell a man to go and he goes, and I tell a man to come and he comes, which is saying, I understand authority and I also understand submission. And he says to Jesus, just speak a word and my servant will be made healed. And Jesus just falls back and he goes, man, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And Jesus even says, this is great faith. Uh, look at the centurion. I mean, first, would you like to have had like a plaque on your wall that said Jesus was here? I mean, the centurion could have had Jesus come to his house and perform this miracle. That's what Jesus was going to do. Imagine the fame, imagine the notoriety of saying, yeah, 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 you know, Jesus, you know, he came to my house, he healed my servant. Yeah, he was here, that's where he sat. Here's a plaque that we made, here's a selfie that we took, you know, Jesus, you know, me and Jesus were tight. The centurion, because his love for his servant was more than his need for attention, also with great faith noticed that people that, that Jesus had had great faith were going on behalf of someone else. The centurion didn't need healing in his body. He needed healing in his servant's body. And because he went in humility, Jesus, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. And Jesus said, great faith, because this centurion understood authority and he understood submission. So you have honor, you have humility, and you have submission. And that servant was healed instantly from that moment. Isn't that awesome? And then if you'll look with me in... Uh, Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 22. We're still talking about honor. You know, if we want to honor God, we have to honor God with submission and humility. Matthew chapter 15, verse 22. And uh, it says, and I'll read it out of the Amplified, and behold, a woman who was a Canaanite from that district came out and with a loud and troublesome urgent cry begged, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is miserably and distressingly and cruelly possessed of a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And the disciples came and implored him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. He answered and said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came kneeling, get that, and worshiped him. There's your humility and there's your submission. And kept praying, Lord, help me. See, I want you to notice too that she wasn't just going to let go. That when we go to bat for somebody, we don't just let go. We don't just discard people or throw people away. We, you know, everything and everyone is precious to God. And so she was not willing to let go because she needed a miracle for her daughter. Once again, just like the centurion for his servant, 
this woman was there for her daughter. The Syrophoenician woman didn't need healing, her daughter did. This woman was outside of the covenant. She was a Gentile. She had no rights. She had no legal way to come to Jesus, and Jesus acknowledged that, and he said, look, I'm only here for the lost sheep of Israel. But you know what? She would not let go. And Jesus makes this statement, uh, and he answered, it is not right or proper, becoming or fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Man, try that in 2023 about calling somebody a little dog and just see how far you get these days. You know, he actually just dropped that out there and, and, and it wasn't calling her a little dog. He was using a metaphor to try and explain what he was trying to do or what not to do. But she said she didn't get offended she didn't storm off, well, I'll never, you know, I got offended at that church. I can't believe that pastor said that to me. You know, oh my gosh, my feelings are hurt. You know, sometimes when the truth of life comes to us, um, it can be painful sometimes. When we get corrected, when we get instructed, if I'm a true honorable person with in honor and humility and submission, I'm going to receive correction for it. But if I just storm off and go somewhere else because no one tells me what to do, then I'm in trouble because you're just gonna keep going from church to church, person to person, because unless I have the humility to humble myself and say I was wrong uh, and be corrected by the word, then I'm not in a place where I'm gonna get promoted. And this woman put herself in a place where God could still use her to save her daughter because she just said, Lord, even, I love this, this, this verse, and uh, in verse 27 of Matthew 15, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little pups, the little whelps, eat the crumbs that fall from their young master's table. Verse 28, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you for you as you wish. And her daughter was cured from that very moment. Um, if you look at those two accountings of the centurion and with the Syrophoenician woman, both of them operated in humility and both of them operated in submission. And because they did, they both got the promotion that they both needed, which was the healing one of the servant and the other of a daughter. If we can be like David and learn to behave wisely in every situation, if we can purpose in our hearts, and I would even write those two words down, put them on cards, sticky notes, let it be something that we constantly renew our minds to, that I'm a person of submission and I'm a person of humility, that I am submitted to my God, I'm submitted to my church, I'm submitted to my spouse, uh, I'm submitted to the word of God, and Lord, I walk in humility, Lord, that I always choose to believe the best of every person, that I'm not high-minded. You know, you can have every degree in the world and be the stupidest person that's ever walked the earth, because if you're putting your faith in those degrees, then you're just puffed up with earthly or worldly knowledge. You know, being smart is not the one who amasses the most information. Being smart is the one that has, knows how to disseminate information with wisdom like David was and be able to fix any situation. Well, we've come to the end of this. It's hard to, this, these go by so fast. This is Pastor Jack C. This is Living With Purpose. Pastor Michelle and I love you. Jesus is Lord.